All right, good evening, everyone, and welcome. This is Twist Gaming, where you get to play board games with us. This is our Great Game Hunters podcast, where we go through the ins and outs of Kingdom Death, discuss strategy, tips, and tricks, and our experiences along the way. Uh, so who are we? We're Twist Gaming, along with Mr. Fenn. So I'm Matt. I'm joined here with Josh and Fenn. Guys, you want to do your introductions? Hey, I'm Josh. Hey, I'm Fenn, and I do all sorts of Kingdom Death-related things, like paint miniatures, and write strategy articles, and write reviews that get stuck on board King Geek and attributed to someone else, and so on. Hello! You've got your fingers in a lot of Kingdom Death pies, if you will. I do like having my fingers in pies. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, so last session was a little while ago, uh, so do we want to catch everyone up to speed on what we discussed last time around? I wasn't here, so I'm going to leave that to you two gentlemen. So last episode, we went over the basis of the Gorm. We talked about his AI cards, the hunt events, a little bit of the lore, um, and we stopped before we got the hit locations and everything else. Um, one note, we made, did make a mistake last podcast about the he gets knocked down at the end of one of his attacks, um, which does cause an opportunity of a survival action, and we all forgot about it and thought it was yeah. just thematic, so... It's, it's easy to forget that. How bad? Yeah. So a few people, uh, a few of our fans, are like, "Hey, you got this wrong." And we're like, "Okay, we got it wrong." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They uh, well, they don't get a chance to point out we're wrong too often. Yeah, it's not often. You got to take that when you can get it. So with that, uh, first up on the slate for this evening, we're going to be talking about the hit locations. Correct, gentlemen. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so where do y'all want to start off with that one? All right, I kind of grouped them up together a little bit, so I was going to kind of go through these a little bit quicker than we normally do. Uh, so the first three I got up, they're all failure actions, and uh, they have a little bit different critical wounds, so we'll go through the three of these first. All right, so first up is the Mammoth Hands, and the failure action all three of these are the Gorm instantly lashes out, perform a basic ac- action targeting the attacker. So he does a basic attack back, Um this is the critical is the Gorm's palms are wounded. The Gorm gains minus one movement. Minus one movement's always great. And I know level two Gorm's fast. Is nine movement? Yeah, yeah. it is fast. Yeah, yeah. level fast. two Gorm has nine movement and he gets a little slower at level three and drops down to, well, not much, but I think it's eight movement at level three, it correct? Yeah, yeah, you know, they get a little slow in their old age, but they're still faster than the survivors. All right, next up is the Mammoth Wrinkle Elbow. Same failure action. Crit is the Gorm's pathetic howl embolds the survivors. The attacker gains plus one survival, which is always good. Yep. Indeed, especially if you don't have people out there with stuff like uh, Thrill Seeker or uh, Rawhide Armor to help try and mitigate your survival usage. And then if you have the must, is it must card out there that uh, forces you to spend extra survival when you do certain actions? Um, it is the Gorm. Is it the must? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the Gorm's Den. So I believe a level 2 Gorm is it costs you double survival to surge, and then a level 3 Gorm, it's double survival to dash, correct? Correct, yeah. The bone field makes it hard to dash around in. Yeah. And then the last of these uh, failure cards is the Mammoth Mandibles, which is uh, the critical is the Ruined Mandibles... Swing limply from the Gorm's mouth. Roll 1d10. On the result of a 5+, plus, the attacker hacks away the arm 
and gains plus one courage and plus one survival. So that's just like a better crit location of the wrinkled elbow. It gives you the same and a little bit more. Yeah, well, I mean, it's more elbows, isn't it? There's multiple elbows around there. Makes sense. All the elbows. So many, like eight? That's just including his face elbows. That's not even included. Does he have normal elbows on his legs? Or they're not called. Or they're, I think those are called kneecaps. Yeah, <laughs> your leg elbows. <laughs> we might get an answer further on. There may be some kneecaps in here. We'll find out. All right. Uh, next up, I'm going to go over the three flank car- four flank cards. So one thing about the Gorm is you get an attack bonus for a few hit locations, a plus two strength bonus when attacking in from the flank, which is the sides of the monster. Um. So yes, specifically adjacent on the side. Yeah. So, uh, first up, we have the Mammoth's Tail. So, if you attack from the Gorm's flank, gain plus two strength from when atta- attempting to wound this location. Uh, the critical on this is turn the Gorm to face the opposite board edge and full move forward in a straight line. At the end of its movement, the monster is knocked down. So, he does a lot of turn around and run away. Yeah, this one's say. a weird one, this one. Um I was playing um, People of the Sun with my friends Nick and Simon, and we knocked down the mammoth on one of the other results. Actually, it may have been a crit with a grand weapon. And then um, Simon ran up and fist and toothed it and scored the crit on this and punched the Gorm, basically, and it got up and ran straight over the top of a big stone head and then, of course, knocked itself down again. So sort of like this very strange situation where for once the Gorm moved off a critical hit, um, kind of looked like he uppercutted it over the top of the stone face. But it was a, it was a great little, um, little occurrence. Um, I also really like the flanking mechanic on the Gorm. I think it's really good. It kind of um, helps create that mammoth hunt kind of feel where you try and fight the Gorm on its sides. Uh, so, yeah, it's really cool. That's a pretty interesting circumstance about that uh, the crit location. I never thought of that if the Gorm was already knocked down and then you uh, wind up critting that he gets up. It's very cartoonish. You're laying yeah. down, jumps up, runs, and then falls down again. Yeah, we, we were all like, like just you kind of thought about it for a moment and, and then just started laughing at how ridiculous it was. And of course, the Gorm did sail, as I said, it sailed over the top of a giant stone head with a survivor on it, knocking them down in the process. It's just like, what just happened? This is, <laughs> you know, really kind of a bit at odds with the normal theme of Kingdom Death. All right, next up we have the uh, Mammoth Crowded Fangs. Again, flank bonus. Uh, critical wound, the Gorm's teeth rain to the ground. The attacker gains one random Gorm resource and plus one courage. Just a solid location with a great crit location. Yeah, anytime you can grab a resource from a crit location, it's pretty good. But then to have the extra courage bonus there, that's, that is a sweet one to hit. Yeah. Uh, the next one we have the Spongy Leg Bone. Uh, flank bonus, and then critical wound is persistent injury gimped. Affects some AI cards. So I believe there's a few AI cards that had this on there. We yeah, talked about the last one. And then the last flank one is the Mammoth Testes. They must be pretty big if you get them from the side. Yeah, I was just about to say that. If you if you get bonus to flanking them, that's they're, they're hanging out there then. You've seen the model. You've seen how large they are. That is you have, have done the big balls. I mean, we ha- we are not as intimately familiar with the model as you, Fen, getting all up in there with the paintbrush, but, you know, um, I-, I see you spent a nice amount of detail there. 
Yeah, I know. You have to spend your time. Have you seen the tip, though, of the Gorm's genitalia? I don't know if Matt's ever seen it. Well, just the tip. Um, just the tip, yeah. The tip is actually a pair of lips. Fantastic. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, so this is the critical. Is the attacker gains the mammoth hunting fighting art. The Gorm is enraged and gains plus one damage token. So get some damage. And let's show off the mammoth hunting fighting art because since we're talking about flanking, that's actually what this does. This gives you a plus one strength bonus when attacking from the adjacent space, the flanking position. Yeah. Um, we found if you crit this location early in a fight, especially uh, in the beginning stages of the campaign, it can make for a very dangerous occurrence against the, um, the Gorm. We try and, like, critting for mammoth hunting is not a super great benefit. Uh, mammoth hunting is like an okay, but plus one damage on like a Gorm when you've not got shields and stuff is horrific. Yeah, that's what Matt did during our fight on Tuesday. I did not hit the testes, you liar. Maybe you didn't crit them. You, you did hit the testes. I think I actually wound up getting him a minus one damage token at some point in time, or was that Twitch? I think that was Twitch. It's okay, I'll take credit for it. Uh, so what's up next, Josh? Alright, so next up, uh, these all have the same reaction. They're just uh, Some of these are wounds, some of these are failures. So first up, we have the Mammoth Skull. So this is the wound. Is you turn the Gorm to face the opposite board edge and full move forward in a straight line. Um, the critical wound is the Gorm hacks and wretches, spitting up a glistering mass. Gain one active thyroid, strange resource. And that is a damn useful strange resource. It's really good. So that's the resource, and if you consume it, you archive this and roll a d10. On a 7+, plus, gain one, plus one permanent speed. Otherwise, your heart explodes, killing you instantly. That's the good part of it, though. I imagine you love that plus one permanent speed from this card. And, you know, oh. failure is not bad either. No, no, it's great. It's it's perfect. I would love to get my hands on one of these because I'm having trouble killing my survivors at the moment. So uh, it would be very beneficial because I've missed out on getting the plus one luck from for graves for like years in this campaign I'm playing. So yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't mind chewing down one of these. And if I get plus one speed, then I can just toss that survivor in the scrap heap because meh. All right, up next, it's uh, the same reaction, but it's a failure. Uh, this is the Mammoth Bulgin Eye. Uh, and the critical is the blow ruins the Gorm's eyesight. The monster gains minus one accuracy token. Yeah, minus one accuracy for the monster is phenomenal in these, you know, it's, you know, akin to a plus one evasion for everyone. So that's yep. pretty nice. The next up, we have the Mammoth Backstrap. Again, the same failure. Um, and the critical is the Shower of Gore rains on the attacker. Gain one g- Jiggling Lard Gorm resource. The attacker may rip into the husk of flesh immediately. If they do, archive the resource. They gain plus one courage and plus three insanity. Yeah, I'm not keen on the idea of eating this, but later on, uh, if you don't really need the jiggling lard, which is a very good resource, um, but sometimes plus one courage can be, you know, it's a nice way to get it. Um, I do want to sort of say I like the reaction on these, um, which is, you know, it's unusual because... You don't often see monsters moving in this kind of fashion where they just sort of rotate on their own axes and then run in the direction. And it sort of gives a bit of that kind of elephant and baby feel to the way the Gorm acts. It also forces you to think a little bit more about how you're going to fight the Gorm. And I think adds to the rule of don't be behind the Gorm, don't be in front of the Gorm, be on the sides. Yeah, we're going to learn to be more on the sides in just a minute. So the next six cards are... 
again, some of them are wounds, some of them are failures, but they all are the same reaction. This is vomit. This, this is vomit. Bitch. So uh, we got mammoth goiter is uh, the first one, and this is a failure. He performs wretch. So, Fen, you want to tell us about wretch? Okay, so wretch is the probably the biggest mechanic um, that the Gorm has. Effectively, the Gorms are a walking chemical factory filled with all sorts of different fluids, some of which are beneficial, some of which are highly uh, unpleasant. And the wretch is sort of the more unpleasant ones being thrown out. So the Gorm will move backwards two spaces, and then it will vomit in the zone, which is one either side of it and four spaces forward. So it's five wide, four forward. Anyone in there takes um, star damage to a random hit location that ignores armor. So this is scary if you are uh, fighting a level one because it can just, like, two hits potentially could kill you if it's on the head. Um, but it gets downright terrifying when you fight a level three because if you if you take this wretch damage, that's a severe hit immediately on any location, sphere injury. Um I like mechanic. I like the way it forces you to think about how you're going to be attacking. Um, and sometimes you literally you can't risk attacking because if it does wretch, and the fact that it wretches on a wound more than a failure means that wretching is always a big kind of threat. So you have to be like, shoot, if I attack here, the moment for bounce back and vomit on my tank, and I could lose them. So you have to learn a little bit of caution. All right. Uh, next up, we have the... Oh, I, we actually skipped over the critical one here. So the critical yeah, wound the critical. is the monster dribbles vicious blood. All survivors in the vomit zone gain plus three insanity. Yeah, it's all right. Not great. It's circumstantial that, you know, insanity is really that good for you. All right, next up is the mammoth descended gut. Uh, failure, he's going to retch. Uh, critical wound, you gain one stout kidney gorm resource. And... Uh, Stout kidneys do, uh, if you consume it, you archive this and roll a d10. On a result of 6+, plus, you gain 10 survival. Otherwise, reduce your survival to 0. Yep, and it's also used in building a few of few key items, a couple of them. Alright, the next four are going to be reactions on wounds, so he's going to retch when you wound him. Uh, next up is the Mammoth's Rump. Uh, critical hit, you get one random Gorm resource. Very straightforward, very nice. The Mammoth's Hindgut. We've hit him in the gut a lot. Um, a critical wound, healthy vomit. Survivors in the vomit zone heal all injury levels at one hit location of their choice. This I like. It's very... If you're not playing with any hit location mitigation, like the Wisdom Potion or the uh, the Circlet, then this is a pleasant surprise when you get this one, because you could be like, oh, this could be very bad if I'm standing in his vomit zone, or it could be pretty good if I'm standing in his vomit zone. Yeah, and yeah, and it fits into the whole theme of the Gorm having uh, useful and dangerous um, juices inside it. Question on this one: Does he still jump back two spaces on the critical hit, or he just vomits in front of himself? Um, it says survivors in the vomit zone, so he's not retching. You just check the vomit zone as per the card, so yeah, he won't move. So you could kind of stand far enough away where, if it's a good hit, you get vomited on, and otherwise he jumps back two spaces and you're out of range. Is one way to play it. Sure looks that way. Yes. Yes, I agree. I just don't think about it for a moment. All right. Next up, we have the Mammoth Maw. Uh, critical wound is a persistent injury. Jaw paralysis affects some AI cards. Yeah, that's the ones where it would throw people around. Uh, we talked about it in the previous episode and discussed how instead it would gently caress everyone. 
The little hands on it on his face is gonna caress everyone. Yeah, yeah, gentle caresses from baby hands. Doesn't that sound really awful actually? That doesn't sound disturbing at all, then. Well, you know, look at the game we're talking about. If it's not disturbing, then uh, they're not doing it right. Alright, last up for this, uh, the wretch is Mammoth Rear Clubfoot. Persistent injury, uh, lame. At the start of each monster's turn, roll 1d10. On a 9+, plus, the Gorm is knocked down. So 20% chance the Gorm gets knocked down at the beginning of his turn. It's pretty good, that crit location. It can make a huge difference against the high-level monsters. Alright, next up we have the Mammoth Rigid Spine, the one super dense location. Um, and a critical in the Gorm Howls in Pain and is knocked down. I think this was the location we critted uh, to knock the Gorm down for the <laughs> the flying punch. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that we have a super dense location turning up on the Gorm because the Gorm is a Lantern Year 1 monster. So this does mean, like, you could encounter this super dense location in Lantern Year 2. No, Lantern Year 1, which um, is potentially going to catch you off guard if you decide to go straight away from the Prologue White Line and into the Gorm, fighting it with um, uh, Bone Blades and stuff. You could lose your gear. So it's something just to bear in mind if you have no hit location manipulation early on in the game. Yeah, it's one of the danger car- dangerous hit locations for early game. All right, up next is the Mammoth's Bloated Face. You strike the Gorm's Swinging Jowls. Um, the critical hit is gain one random Gorm resource. So this is the only one that doesn't have a reaction on it, really, besides the super dense one. Which is surprising for hitting it in the face. Then we have the Death Blow card. Ooh. Ben, you want to go over the Death Blow card for us? Absolutely. So this is the fluorescent lure, which, as we discussed in the previous episode, is actually a modified third testicle that hangs from the Gorm's face, uh, like a lure from many deep-sea angler-style fish. Um, the death blow, the Gorm's writhing bulb lays on the ground, pulsing gently even as his body lays lifeless beside it. You nominate a survivor to retrieve bulb, so that could be any survivor, not just um, uh, the one who dealt death blow. You gain the pure bulb gorm resource. The survivor's face and hands are sprayed by the bulb's caustic juices. This is a blind, severe injury, but the exhilarating toxin imbues them with a permanent plus one speed. So, minus one accuracy, plus one speed. It's not a great result, but the pure bulb resource is very good, very desirable. Um, this, if you can manage to crit uh, a death blow, sorry, crit, yeah, if you manage to score a death blow against the gorm, like, very... Uh, early on in the campaign and get the other resources required, it can make a huge difference. Yeah, we actually, we've managed to do this twice now in our campaign, is hit the death blow and get uh, pure bulb. And then the very last card, the tarp card. Tarp card. Tarp. So Gorm has a very interesting trap card. Um, Matt, can you take this one? Absolutely. So the trap card here is <clears throat> Lure Paroxysm. And that is full move the Gorm towards the attacker. If the monster ends its movement adjacent to the attacker, the Gorm headbutts them with its enormous skull as its lure dances frantically atop its head. The attacker suffers a star damage to the head location and then turn to face the monster to the most survivors. Each survivor the monster is facing is knocked down and suffers star brain damage. Uh, so the interesting thing here is that you can kind of mitigate if you have uh, if you know you're going to hit the trap card, who's going to be taking the brain damage if you want to. 
Uh, but you could possibly game this based on the Gorm speed and how far away you can hit him by. Yeah, it's um, it's one of the easier to game traps. It's one of the less dangerous ones overall, I think. Uh, although, you know, head hit is kind of scary and, and it can be tough. But even in the early game, you can have somebody with a um, skull helm trigger this trap and they can just tank it no problem because they got free armor on the head. Um, and also, it doesn't do many ones. So, you know... You're out because the trap card ends the attack. All of a sudden, people have got things that they can do. I think this is one of the things that makes the Gorm soft to fight the trap. Just a big loving baby. All right, so I think that is all the hit locations. Anything else to go over those? Oh no, I, I think the hit locations are a nice complement to the way the AI cards work. They uh, build on themes of um, childlike. Uh, activities and elephant-like nature of the creature. Um, I, this is a Anapoots expansion, um, and she's really brought the character of the Gorm to life. And it, it, to be fair, I think is why it's one of my favorite monsters. All right, so what are we heading on to next? Resources. Let's talk about what we get from them. Um, actually, before we do close up, I was going to say, uh, give me one second to pick the cards up again, is the crit resource count, because it's actually a little lower for the Gorm compared to um, most. Hang on. So yeah, uh, including the death blow, there's a total of seven locations that give you resources. Um, six of them on crits, and then the, uh, the death blow itself giving you pure bulb. And there are two um, strange resources to be gotten, both of which are used to make very good pieces of gear. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to say. That I think it's less than the White Lion. It's definitely less than Screaming Antelope. So it's not that um, generous a set of... Uh, uh, it's not so good to crit farm as some of, the, some of the others, but resources you do get have multiple different uses. There we are. Time for resources. Okay, take it away. All right, so uh, for these here, we have uh, four stout hides. So this is uh, making mostly armor, right, Fen? Yeah, it's used in the Gorm armor. So we got four of those. We got two dense bones, two mammoth hands, and those are one of each resource, the hands, which are nice. So they're like mystery meat, but for Gorm. Slightly better than mystery meat. Yeah, slightly better. We got the uh, meaty rib, which is a bone and an organ. We have, and there's two of those, we have two stout kidneys, or stout, stout hearts, sorry, which is just an organ resource. Two stout. Yep, it's just like the doctor. It has two hearts, the gorm. Uh, two stout kidneys, and we talked about those before. Two pieces of jiggle and lard, uh, which is an organ and a hide. The hide part's interesting. I never thought of fat as a hide. Yeah, um, jiggle and lard's fantastic. Yeah, it's a good resource. Uh, then we have the uh, stout vertebrae, which is a bone. Yep, probably the least interesting piece of the gorm. We have the milky eye. Which is super good and gives a bonus of plus three insanity when you gain it. Seems to make one of my favorite pieces of gear from the gorm. We have the uh, acid gland. Yep, another very desirable piece of kit for certain um, character builds. We have the handed skull. The skull has to be huge. Generally, I try and get about two of these per campaign. And this is to make the shield, correct? 
No, this is nope, the shield. This is the helmet. That's the helmet. That's the to make the helmet and the black sword. Ah. Alright. And then we have his brain. Which is a super desirable piece of um, resource and generally you're hoping to get uh, four total brains across the campaign for reasons that we'll discuss when we look at the uh, the Gorm chemist. And then we have a couple um, strange resources. We have the active thyroid, which we talked about. We have, uh, which is off a hit location. Pure bulb, which is off the death blow card. Then we have the stomach lining, which is a level three Gorm, correct? Yep, you can only get it by defeating the level three Gorm. And the last one is Gormite, which is possible chance to get it during a level three Gorm, or you can make it with the Gorm Kmiss. Yeah, yeah, generally you make it with the Gorm Kmiss, and yes, there's a chance on the timid entry of finding Gormite. And that's all the resources. Yeah, um, there's a nice selection of them. I like the way Gorm has multiple different um, resource types per resource. Um, as we see when we look at the gear, there's a whole bunch of interesting things um, that can be made and crafted using these items. And a lot of them is sort of, you really want to get one or two of them, and then after that you start using these generic resources. All right, so what do we want to head into next? Well, we've seen the gear. Do we want to talk about what we can make with it? Sure. Do you want to go over the Gormkmist first or the Gormery? Um, I think it might be good just to do the other events that we haven't dealt with in the book because I think there's a couple, and then we can do the gear. If that's all right, because I think we haven't. Sounds did good. We talk, did we talk about Meltdown before? No, I think we did. Actually. Yes, we, we did. did do we have to. Yeah, we've done all the events. Yes, of course. Let's get on with this gear. So, uh, this is because it was a few weeks ago that we did this episode. So, yeah, let's rock on and um, do the Gormkmist and ignore me. All right. So if we're going to talk about the Gormkmist, we need to talk about the innovations that Gorm adds to the game. So oh, yes, so there's four. Um, so first one we have is a. Uh, I'm going to pronounce all these wrong. So, Fen, you want to take these over? Uh, okay. Give me one moment because I, I left the I have we were. So, um, the first one is Negredo, um, which is plus one survival limit. Um, and it has an endeavor that you can, um, once per lance in a year, you can either lose a bone resource on a one to two or on a three to ten, you can spend three bone to gain a dense bone or resource. Which you might be thinking, what's the point in that? But some campaigns you end up with a flood of um, bone happening, and actually, a dense bone combined with a jiggling lard will create one of my favorite gold weapons for the early game. So it's pretty useful. As I think I said, Negredo is, no, I didn't say, Negredo was given to you the first time you defeat a gorm, and it will add the second potion to the deck. All right, sounds good. Um... Next up, which is, uh, I just need to wait to see it on screen, I'm afraid. It's Albedo, if I remember correctly. Yep, it is. So. Yep, there it is. So um, it this one uh, doesn't have any static passive effects, um, but uh, if you spend two endeavors once per lantern year, and um, you can, on a one or a two, enjoy the wonders of losing one weapon, level of weapon proficiency on everyone. Hooray! Um, on a three to nine, you can spend four organs to gain one Gorm. 
um, Gorm Brain, sorry, resource. And on a 10 plus, all returning survivors may change one negative attribute modifier of their choice to zero. I've never ever wanted to use this ability. It is, there's two, like, four organs to get brain is a crazy amount. It's just far too much. Um, even though the brain is useful in the special innovate, it's just, uh, I, I don't like this. And the, the, the risk of, of losing one weapon proficiency on everyone is, is crazy. You know, unless you've sent out a party of newbies who don't have any weapon efficiency. So, I don't think, have you guys ever used this or even considered using it? The 10 plus I, is nice. That's about it. Yeah, I don't think we ever even gave it too much of a second thought. But that's a whole team getting rid of the negative attribute. That that can cure Bone Witch. Make it not horrible? Yeah, I mean, it has some benefits. It's just, that's 10%. And you only get one shot at it per lantern year. And you've got a 20% chance of getting screwed over. If you have someone with otherworldly luck, maybe. And if you have lights in the sky. True, true. There are there are situations. But you can't count on lights on the sky for this happening. But yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's something to bear in mind. Because lights in the sky is one of those situations where you really want to take advantage of stuff and get things that normally you couldn't. It's just a shame that this says returning survivors change one negative to zero. Uh, you know. Anyway, um, once you innovate that, Citrianus enters the deck. Uh, this one, when complete, will give the passive plus one survival limit. Um, it has three endeavors to activate. Uh, once per lantern year, on a one or a two, you get the elixir of heavy metals, and returning survivors suffer minus one permanent evasion. And I think everyone knows how we feel about that. On a 3 to 10, you get the Elixir of Wholeness. Returning survivors may heal, may remove one broken severe injury. So, you know, this might help with someone who, say, has two broken arms, perhaps? Perhaps. But, again, it's like, that's a big downside. And, again, it's a bit limited in that you have to set this person out and have them returning. So, considering the cost to activate is three endeavors, it just... I've never really wanted to do this. And the bed fixes a lot of broken, severe injuries anyway. Yeah, it's a, it's a little mean. And then we have the uh, last the, one. Uh, last. Ooh, yes. Which is Rubedo. Um, and this one, the four endeavors, uh, allows you to get the Elixir of Gore, which gives all returning survivors hemophobia on one or two. Brilliant. A three to eight elixir of fever. Returning survivors gain plus one courage and must skip the next hunt, which is is okay. And then on a nine plus elixir of mirrors, returning survivors invert their attribute modifiers. Positives become negatives and vice versa. Again, I find because this says returning survivors on it, it's very hard to make use of. Four endeavors is a massive amount. Um, so it's not something I've ever wanted to activate. Um, it's Probably some situations where it may be useful, but how often do you have a party where, um, you know, you've got people who've got like a set of negatives and nothing positive that's going to be an issue? Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. you could take one of those guys who's got plus one speed, minus one evasion, and flip that around. That would be nice. But we yeah. have to flip the whole party around. I know, I know. So you need everyone else's going out to not have anything to be neutral or something. It's a lot of work to set up. It's just one of those things you hold in your head, I think. All right, so those are the four innovations that come with the game. So let's talk about the Gorm Commist. Um, yep, so the Gorm Commist is the one of two locations you get given when you first beat the Gorm. Um, it is 
unusual as far as locations go. Now, the way it works is you spend two organs and you roll 1d10 and an extra d10 for each Gorgonkami innovation, which are the four innovations we just looked at, which you've made in your settlement. And then you check the results and gain the corresponding gear or resources. Um, you also have the option to archive one Gorgonkami's potion that you've made previously to re-roll one dice result. So, on a 1 to 6, you just get a random Gorgon resource. And, you know, if you spent two genetic organs, potentially you could get something great, but whatever. 7 to 12, you get healing potion. Um, 13 to 18, you get wisdom potion. 19 to 24, you get steadfast potion. 25 to 30, you get a power potion. 31 to 36, you get the life elixir. And on 37 plus, you get gormite. Um, now, the, the sweet spots, and we'll talk about them, but the stuff you really want to try and get is you want at least one wisdom potion, you want at least one steadfast potion, uh, you want at least one power potion, and you want usually one to two pieces of gormite. Um, it depends. The other thing that kind of happens is when you are playing with the green armor set, this location becomes very important. Um, so that's... Uh, we, and, and we'll talk about that near the end of the episode um, rather than here. Uh, I like this whole location. I do. Oh, sorry. The final thing is the special innovate, which is you can spend one strange resource and the gold brain to gain the next gold Kami innovation. And I thoroughly recommend doing that because um, pulling the gold Kami innovations out of the deck rather than having to make them um, via your innovation each year is super useful. Uh, the best strange resource to spend is uh, fresh acanthus, which you can get from the fighting screaming antelope because you can usually get two or three screaming antelope. Um, Two or three fresher campus from screaming out of it. That's very efficient. Um, effective. So, yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite locations. I think it's really cool how different it is. What about you guys? Yeah, it's very unique. I, I definitely like it, and the items that you can get here uh, are fantastic. Even if you're just talking about the Wisdom Potion, that's an absolute favorite of ours in our personal campaigns. It's so so useful. So that alone makes this location phenomenal and it just gets better from there. And it's a fun, like trying to make something you don't have all the enough dice really to do it. You're like, I need to roll really high and we're just going to keep throwing organs at this. And then we'll just, Oh, we have a healing potion. We'll just toss that in to reroll a die because we we really need this. Yeah. It's, it's a fun location. It appeals to the gambler in all of us in a good way. And um, I like it a lot. It's always nice to activate it and let somebody in the group roll like two, three dice and then chuck in a potion, as you said. It's, it's good. Shall we talk about the potions now before we go on to the Gormory? I think so. So first okay. up, we have the healing potion. All right. So at All the right, so end of the showdown, if you suffered any permanent injuries, you may archive this card and remove one of your choice. So this lets you get rid of one severe injury at the end of the showdown and... Yeah, you don't. Oh, yeah, you archive the card, and it's got a downward yeah, red affinity. Yeah, and it's also uh, fragile and a consumable, which does have some relevance. There are certain hunt events that destroy fragile gear, and as we when we talked about screaming antelope, um, it does go after people who have consumable stuff. So, just worth bearing in mind. Uh, healing potions, as we kind of hinted at when we were just talking, you normally. You might carry them to join up the affinity to get a full red on something, and there are reasons for doing that. But, well, the Gormant armor in itself is not a reason for it. Uh, but often this just gets turned into a reroll at some point later in the campaign to try and get the cooler stuff. In our campaign, it fills an empty slot, and in case something does happen during the fight, we can 
heal it. Exactly, yeah. Next up is my favorite potion, the Wisdom Potion. Yes, I think the Wisdom Potion is incredible. So it's another item consumable other, um, and it's got a right blue affinity, which is pretty rare, I believe. Very, very rare. Very rare. And it's got uh, you need two blue affinities, one's a puzzle piece. Uh, play this play the showdown with the top card of the hit location deck revealed, which is amazing. Especially if you have uh, a Zambato in your party and you can just be like, oh, well, I've got one speed and I know that I'm not going to break the damn thing if I attack now, so let's do that. And it also gives you, you know, if you have a, a bunch of slow people in your party, it's uh, fantastic for you because you can mitigate the hit location deck without needing a cat's eye circlet if you don't have it. I know we've played our most recent campaign like that for a long time, and it makes it doable for sure. Yeah. I think it is debatable whether the Wisdom Potion is better than the cat's eye circlet or not. While it has less depth in its impact and you can't use it to filter away the trap, this is a passive effect and it sits there every single turn. Um, I've definitely found, and it's easier to make as well, because you just, you can get it with a decent roll of 18, um, and just two organs chucked in there. So, I, I love it, and I love that we have an alternative to having to get the cat's eye circuit all the time. So, Wisdom Potion would probably be one of my top five support items in the game, I think. I think it's, yeah, it's good for that. And the only time like it's worse than the cat eye circlet is if you have the trap card near the top of the deck and then you're just like, Alright, I'm stuck with the trap and I have to trigger it. I can't I can't get around it. Alright, so next up we have the steadfast potion. This is an upward red affinity, it's an item consumable, and it's heavy. Uh when you ignore a hit with block, you gain plus one strength token. When you are knocked down, lose all your plus one strength tokens. Yeah. This one I like to make these occasionally. The upward-facing red affinity is actually kind of hardish to get. Um, I don't want multiples, uh, but if I if one of these comes out of um, a Gorm Chemist attempt, then you almost certainly see me using it on one of my survivors for a while. Um, especially, it's very good with the Knuckle Shield, because the Knuckle Shield is very low strength, so you can use the blocks on the Knuckle Shield to build up its strength and then to be able to attack with it. So it's a, it's a good item. It's just, um, it's solid and reliable. That sounds actually like a good feedback loop because you can do the knuckle shields a little bit hard to hit wound with, but if you can start actually getting wounds and you get a free block with it. Exactly. I think that was a design idea. See if you've got a hand on the, um, on the bottle, if you look. It does. Um, the other thing, this is a future expansion thing is, uh, we are got stuck with the, uh, you're gonna get stuck with it. We got the cool, uh, headgear from the Sunstalker, which needs a plus one strength token, so, it's actually a way for us to get a plus one strength token easily. Yes. Yeah. Alright, so next up we have the, uh, Power Potion. It's an item consumable, and this is consume once per showdown gain plus one strength token for each green affinity you have, which, this actually helps even more than the last one. Yeah, it does. Um, we often juggle this, um, on and around the our Acanthus Doctors. Sometimes they'll use it to uh, if they need to ramp their strength up even further because we don't play full green grids on our Acanthus Doctors. Uh, on the whole, like this is usually probably going to be two or three plus one strength tokens. Um, it's kind of... It's okay, you know? It can make weapon builds with weak weapons viable. And then last up, we have the uh, Life Elixir. 
which is item consumable stinky. Uh, each showdown, the first time you would die from a severe injury, ignore that injury. It's a solid piece of gear. It is. It is very solid. Um, and you can't really be upset having these. Uh, it's it's kind of like, you know, I wish it had some affinities on it. I do. I like the ability to ignore um, a death, and the fact that it doesn't get used up is very nice. Um, it just I just feel like it kind of sits in your grid, though, and doesn't do anything more than that. Um, I'm not a huge fan of stuff that triggers off deaths, because really you should be trying to avoid deaths in the first place. I feel like this is kind of a souped-up uh, dried acanthus that you don't have to use right away, and you get to keep it. Yes, I think that's a fair way to assess it. Although it does make me wonder whether um, dried acanthus is supposed to stop death or not. I can't remember dried acanthus text right now. You can ignore a severe injury? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, definitely then, yeah. Right, and that's everything from the uh, Gormchemist. Yeah, I mean, it's only like a few items, uh, along with the Gormite, so that's six potions of the Gormite, but there is some huge impact from them, and you will absolutely be gambling away until you at least get a Wisdom Potion. Yep, that was the potion. All the gambles. All right, so we're going to go to the uh, Gormory now? Well, we may as well just push straight into the gear, because the Gormory itself isn't very special, it's just a normal crafting location. So, should we start talking about the lovely Gorm uh, suit, which is one hell of an endeavor to put together. It certainly always feels like a lot of work. Um, this armor set is kind of unique because it is technically a five-item set, but you get a complete set with four items. Um, so, the initial build to build a complete base Gorm set is one stout hide, one-handed skull uh, for the mask, one stout hide and one bone for the sleeves, three stout hide and a kidney for the suit, which covers the body and waist, uh, one stout hide and one bone for the boots, um, and then the extra item, which unlocks the second form of the Gorm suit, is the regeneration suit that requires a stomach lining and a jiggling lard. Essentially, you can only get those from a level 3 Gorm, um, and you will usually get both of them from fighting level 3 Gorm. Now, if we put the regeneration suit to one side for a moment and just look at the individual pieces, um, first of all, you can see when you look at the Gorm set, it's not great on the affinity front. Um, it basically gives you one green affinity and then uh, a half blue and a half green. And the Gorm suit itself, the body waist piece, requires a blue, a green, and a red affinity or activated to activate its ability. Now, the ability is incredible. And I'll get to that in a moment, but I'll talk about from top to bottom the pieces. So the first bit, the Gormant Mask, gives you two arms to the head. It has a blue up and a green down. And if you connect both of those pieces, puzzle pieces, then if your courage is higher than the monster level, the star, you ignore intimidate actions, which is really good. Um, the tricky part of this is a downward facing blue is kind of hard to get your hands on. The Gorm, um, the Gorm, Gorm does supply us with a couple of items to do it, but both of them are sort of low value. Um, the upward facing green is a lot easier. You can actually get that via a leather shield, if nothing else. Um, so that's not too bad. Then we have the gormet sleeves, which uh, if you have two greens, um, so that's a reason to attach, say, a leather shield to the gormet mask and get those two greens. Uh, you can guard without spending survival. 
Um, now, guard is the ability of the gormant suit, which is, as I said, if you have a blue, a green puzzle piece, and a red, and the green puzzle piece faces left, so you need it fits with the gormant sleeves. Um, then guard is, at the end of your attack, if you are standing and you have a shield in your gear grid, we uh, spend one survival to move three spaces directly away from the monster and block one for free. Uh, now, this is a super powerful ability. Like, this is the kind of thing when we talked about the um, Screaming Antelope before that you want from um, Blood Paint because you get the ability to attack and have your shield up. And Gormit Suit does that. Um, but not only does it allow you in the early game to attack and tank, this is actually a quite a good piece of kit for archers later on where you can use it to keep distance from the monster by shooting and then moving away for free and having a block up. It's, it's great. One of the most powerful abilities. Guard is a really awesome ability. And if you have the two green affinities on the, the gloves, then you just don't even have to spend survival. Just, oh, I yeah, got to do it. Yeah, do it. Yeah. And then we okay. Yes, so I was about to get to them. I dropped the card in the floor. Um, so the um, Gorm skin boots, the Gormant boots, sorry, the other survivors may move through you, but not end movement in the space you occupy. So it provides a little bit of extra um, tactical flexibility for um, people. You can't move through them, but they can move through you. Um, on the whole, they, you know, the boots don't have any affinities on them. They're a little awkward. It's just kind of one of those things you put up with for minor utility and, and put it in there. Um, so each of these provides two armor. A complete set of these four gives you three armor in all locations. And as you can see nicely, this is a four armor piece set. So you've got an extra couple of spaces, well, extra space to play with when compared to normal armor sets. Um, now that does change when you look to upgrade the um, regeneration suit, upgrade the Gormant suit with the regeneration suit. Um, Josh, do you have the armor set card there so you can show them? In? There they are. So, as you can see, the original Gorman armor set gives you plus one armor to locations, and when you suffer more than one severe injury from your attack, you ignore the second severe injury. Fully upgraded, so that's with the regeneration suit as well, you instead get two armor to all hit locations, and when you suffer more than one severe injury from an attack, you ignore all severe injuries after the first one, which is pretty good. Um, and that's on top of the way the regeneration suit works. So the regeneration suit is a two-armor body accessory. So this sits on top of the um, armor you have, and you can attach it to other armor sets as well if you want to. Um, it has three green affinities, top, left, and bottom, um, and an ability that if you have three green affinities in your grid and one of them is a green puzzle piece, then at the end of it, the showdown, you remove any permanent injuries you've suffered this showdown. It is a very powerful piece of equipment, um, so much so that I've been known to use this on other armor sets, uh, stuff like cycloid armor and things like that. Um, but combined with the Gormant set itself, it gives you four armor in all locations and six armor in the body, which is respectable for the late game. Have you guys um, managed the full Gormant set? Last campaign we did. I was running around with full Gorm set, destroying everything. I think we actually had a second regen suit. Nice. Yeah, we did. We farmed the hell out of the Gorm. 
It's always profitable. It's good, good experience. So, yeah, um, I think Gormant Armour is probably uh, in the top, maybe the sixth best armour set in the game. Yeah, I think it's maybe the sixth. It's just a lot of work and effort to build, and you really have to concentrate on the Gorm a lot if you can do this. Because, I mean, that's what... You got. You can get a maximum of four stout hide per Gorm, and it requires uh, six stout hide to build it. Plus, you have to manage to nail the handed skull as well, which is not that easy. Okay, so I would like to move on to the lovely support items that come with the Gorm next, which there are basically three of them. Um, so first of all, we have armor spikes. Now, armor spikes are an item bone heavy. Um, they have a blue facing downward facing affinity and the static passive ability of if adjacent to the monster will suffer a severe body injury, the monster suffers a wound, limit once per round. Now, there are certain monsters that this will work against. It's not really what you want to be doing um, because, you know, who really wants to be taking severe body injuries? That's not usually a plan, but this is a downward-facing glue to connect onto the Gorm, Gorm mask. Gorm mask. So, um, that is... And it's very cheap. It's basically one um, one stout vertebrae and one scrap. Uh, this is the only thing the stout vertebrae is ever used for. Otherwise, it's just a basic bone source. So, do you guys ever bother building these? Because I always find myself building one set. I don't believe we've actually ever built one. It just seems kind of meh to me personally, but we're we're not the same affinity hunters that you are. Yeah, yeah. It's it's because I'm looking to do the affinities and because the other item we're about to talk about is so much more expensive to try and get the affinities sorted. And that is the Gorm, which is one of the four instruments in the game. It is a Gorm skin instrument. It has a downward-facing blue affinity and it has an activated ability of all non-death knocked down survivors stand and gain one armor to all hit locations. Use this once per showdown. Now, first of all, you'll notice this is an instrument that's not noisy, so no problems with the harvester. Um, and it's got a solid ability, getting uh, knocked down survivors to stand up and gain extra armor. That can be very effective, especially if you've got survivors who knock themselves down to do things, such as the Zerk. The drawback with the Gorn is it's one stout heart and three bone. It's very expensive. Um, I'm going to assume you guys have not played with the Gorn at all? I don't think we have. Yeah, I don't remember. We might have built one in, like, Campaign 2 or something like that, but I we didn't really use it much if we did. It is worth exploring. There are some strategies you can pull around it, but you do need the right kind of stuff, because... Because of the fact that it's knocked down survivors, get this bonus. You, um, you, you know, it's not easy to really get it work uh, working correctly to get all the other three survivors around. So uh, let's pull up this fighting art real quick that comes with Gorm. Yep. So lure up a epilepsy. Uh, once we're showdown, you may spend your action to give yourself a seizure. You suffer a random brain trauma and are knocked down. So there, you can knock yourself down yep. with this. Yes. That's another way to do it. Yep. Congratulations, you have found a use for lure epilepsy, apart from trying to frenzy yourself. Yeah, that's about it. Ah, <laughs> uh, this fighting art. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, um, so the last of the three support items is by no means the least. This is one of 
the most powerful items you can make from the gore. I'm not kidding. This one's huge. It requires a milky eye and the active thyroid, so you have to score that hit, a critical hit on the one location, and it is the pulse lantern. This is an item, a lantern. It's fragile. It's made of gorm skin. You can activate it. Once per showdown, we roll 1d10, and the result of a 4+, plus, the monster is knocked down, and all survivors gain a minus 1 accuracy token. It's easy to look at this and go, ugh, minus 1 accuracy, that sucks. Um, now... First of all, uh, when we get to talking about the expansive synergy, Josh, could you remind me about the Pulse Lantern? Because otherwise I will forget. All right. Um, yeah. But uh, this is one of the only ways you can knock down the monster during its flow step. Additionally, that causes survival opportunity for people to surge and attack the monster. They may have a minus one accuracy token, but they're going to hit on a three plus if it's knocked down. The other thing you can do is at the start of the survivor's turn, knock the monster down attack it en masse, lots of surge, lots of attacking, lots of swinging. Potentially you can score between four to six wounds on a monster, maybe even more. This is one of the ways to safely attack with high-speed weapons. Uh, and it's phenomenally strong. It's like the most reliable way to knock the monster down that we have right now. I thoroughly recommend Pulse Lanterns if you can make them. I need to check. We might actually be able to make one. I have to look. I think we got the Milky Eye. Yeah, the active thyroid is the one. I'm not sure we have or not. Um, yeah, I believe um, we got that too. I'm not 100 percent on that. Well, it'd be super cool if you did. Um, I mean, this is a great way of finishing a fight when it's getting a bit desperate because you can just knock the monster down and dogpile it to death. It's it's really good. I mean, the only thing I don't like is that it's a 60 percent chance of working, not 100. percent Hey, you know, considering how powerful it is knocking the monster down. It's also yeah. good for ending the monster's turn a little early if uh, he's got a bad guy yep. coming up. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, the great thing is you can stack multiples of these. You know, your whole party can take one out each, and uh, you know, and you can literally just chain them to end the fight very safely. All right, ready to go to weapons? Oh yeah, weapons. So um, the Gorm, I think, is one of the best monsters when it comes to early game weapons it supports the core game really well um, by filling in a few of the gaps uh, by providing weapons that normally you don't get to play around with I said weapon types I should say um, and it helps training a lot of weapon masteries quite early on so uh, we will start with the acid tooth dagger alphabetically. so this is one of my favourite daggers in the game it's one of the few weapons I will use paired um, because of its ability. So it is a two-speed, seven-plus accuracy, two-strength um, weapon melee dagger bone with an affinity at the top and bottom, both of which are red. Um, it's paired, as I just mentioned, and on a perfect hit, a wound attempt in your attack automatically succeeds. So timeless eye, twin acid tooth daggers, this is one of the situations I will build a high-speed survivor and go for it. I love acid tooth daggers, and the only problem I have with them is it costs an acid gland and two bone to make, and acid glands are kind of hard to get handled. So this is one of the few times I will make a bones, uh, sorry, a dagger survivor and um, really go for it. Uh, I don't think you guys have played with acid tooth daggers, have you? No, we haven't played with many daggers. Yeah, it's not easy to get your hands on them. And daggers still as a whole are kind of, eh, really, you know, 
It's a shame. Okay. Uh, next of all, we have the two axes. So the first one is the Gax, which is the weapon I want to use the most and then keep failing to do so. It is one speed, six plus accuracy, four strength, with a red affinity at the top and on the left. Uh, if you have a red affinity in your grid, it gains plus one speed and savage, and it has a passive ability of each showdown, the first time you critically wound the monster, it gains a minus one evasion token. So this is a nice early game axe. It is made with a dense bone and a stout hide. Now that's what usually stops me making it, is because I need the stout hide for the Gormant armor. But there is another reason. It's actually not the best axe you can build um, in the early game. It's like the second best. And that's a shame. Um, I think if this was the only axe in the Gormery, then I would be able to like recommend it a lot more. But as it stands, this is not a weapon I think that is great. Um, it, I wish it was, because it looks cool. But it's not my kind of thing. And again, I don't think it's something you guys ever bother building. No, I don't think we have either, and I think the part of it is that uh, we, we tend to go more for luck builds, and if this was deadly, this would definitely be choice number one, I believe. Oh, yes. If it was deadly, I would be super happy with this. But, um, yeah, just because, as you're saying, the I'm sure it's the next weapon we're going to be discussing is just a little bit better. Yes, it is. And the next weapon is the Greater Gax, which is a weapon melee axe, two-handed and heavy. Um, it is two speed, six plus accuracy and four strength. It has just the one affinity red on the left. This was deadly. It has reach two. And if you have a green and a red affinity in your grid, then on the perfect hit, the edge sharpens. And you get plus four strength for the rest of the attack. The Greater Gax is one of my favorite early game weapons. Um, I love early game deadly weapons. They really help you build a strong foundation and get a lot of resources extra in and deal with monsters safely. The Greater Gax is just perfect, really. It's, it's everything it needs to be. Uh, it costs one dense bone and one jiggling lard. So this is kind of the equivalent of the um, uh, the Katars, the line, uh, the Beast Claw Katars from the White Line in many ways. But a little bit harder to make. Every time I have a dense bone and a jiggling lard, um, if I don't have a Greater Gax, I will make one. I find it interesting that Gorm has two axes. Like, I don't think there's any other expansions that really have two of the exact same weapon. There are normally different weapon types. Yes. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it is unusual. And that's what I think. It's, that's one thing I, I think design wise could have been better because if the Gax had just been in there by itself, then, um, we'd be more excited about the Gax. Um, or if the Gax was given to a different expansion, it would have worked quite well. I mean, if this, if this, if the Gax was in, say, um, Spidiculous, then that might have been a better sort of choice. But the Greater Gax is so good that the Gax is forever going to live in its shadow. One thing to note is that the Greater Gax is two-handed, and the regular Gax is a one-handed weapon, so that definitely affects it a little bit. Yeah, it does have a little bit of impact. You can't use um, Greater Gax with blood paint, but the truth is you just don't need to. It's, you know, it's great. Uh, But it is even overshadowed further by the next item, um, which is the rib blade, which is a one speed, six plus accuracy, five strength, weapon melee, grand bone, slow and deadly. This weapon is so good that I think it makes the Zambata look bad. It is just fantastic. Um, and it costs 
a meaty rib and a hide to build. So if you get a rib, there's no reason you should be making one of these. On top of all of that, it has a right-facing blue affinity, which means one raw hide set, rib blade, luck charm, that is a deadly plus one luck grid sorted for just seven slots. You've got still got two slots to play around with and put other things in. Every other early game crit farming build requires eight slots to get online. So it's just phenomenal. I think overall this is the best weapon in the Gorm in the Gormery, and it's one of the best early game weapons. I'm always happy to build multiples of this. I want like one on my DPS, um, Grand Weapon DPS, and I want one on my tank. So kind of funny, that build you brought up is pretty much exactly the build that I'm playing in our current campaign. That plus, uh, I believe I have Monster Grease and the Dragon Vestiments on my character, and that's a pretty gnarly character. It is. It is. That's a really good, solid build. And, you know, it's hard to get away from because it gives you everything you need to get through the early game, and it'll rock you through the middle game as well. And at a pinch, with a few tweaks, it's fine in the late game. It's crazy how powerful the rib blade is, and I love it to pieces. Yeah, the only time I take a Zombato over this is when you want to do damage quicker, just for the devastating, but... Yes. So if we're fighting a higher-level monster and we're not sure if we're going to make it out alive, we're just going to go for the, you know, the, the speed... Not the speed, but, like, the, the quickness to get the wounds on the monster's, uh, you know, wound stack. And yeah. that's the only time where a Zambato would kind of trump this out. Um, yeah, apart from the Calcified Zambato, which we'll talk about in a future episode. But yeah, but it, I think the Red Blade might be too good, really. It, it feels a little overpowered, but heck, I'll take it. Right, uh, so the last of the kind of non-special weapons is the Knuckle Shield. Uh, this is a weapon, melee, shield, and gorm skin. It is three speed, seven plus accuracy, one strength. Um, it has block one. And once per round, if you wound with this weapon, block one for free, and it has a downward-facing red. So we kind of talked a little bit about the Knuckle Shield early when we mentioned the Steadfast Potion. This is the earliest possible shield you can get. It costs a mammoth hand and two bone, and it is ideal for starting to train um, Shield Mastery on until you can get something better. I think it's better for training Shield Mastery than even the Leather Shield, even though the stats are, like, garbage, because this is Bone Dagger stats. But the upsides are more than enough to make it worth the hassle and pain of using. I wish the shield had a little bit more strength. Yeah, I agree. That's what the Steadfast Potion, I think, helps with there. Um, but, I mean, let's be honest. If it had, like, two or three strength, this would be ridiculous. Yeah. I guess it's yeah, been it's a lot better with uh, the Survival of the Fittest. Uh, we always play Protect the Young, typically, so we don't get all those early plus strength bonuses. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it, it, this is what I like about Gorma. If you look in there now, all of all of a sudden, if you combine it with White Lion, you've got access early game to um, daggers, axes, grand weapons, shields, uh, katars, spears, bows. It's like a whole range of items um, that that you know are all of a sudden available, and you can have a more open campaign with more flexibility, and you can choose what you want to have and what you want to develop from an early stage, which is cool. It's, it's fun. The Gorm gives you more options. All right. 
Uh, okay, so you guys just made this, so would one of you like to talk about this lovely, lovely club that we've got? All right, the Riot Mace. Uh, it's a weapon melee club. It's uh, two speed, five plus accuracy, five strength with a right blue affinity. It's deadly. When you critically wound, the next time the monster would draw AI, it performs a basic action instead. And FYI, Matt, I got rid of your rip blade and put this in there instead. Well, that's not very nice, but I understand why. Yeah. So this item, I think, well, first of all, it, you to build it, it requires a pure bowl from the death bone location, a stout kidney, a jibbing larve, and a dense bone. So this is like a tough item to construct. Um, but again, the right-facing blue affinity is really strong. The stat line on this thing's amazing. Um, the, uh, the the ability is, is great. Deadly is fantastic. It's, um, it's a phenomenally good weapon. Um, and the only thing I think that is a sad bit about it is that club mastery is just a bit... Yeah. But still... I love the right mace, and um, it is one of my favorite clubs in the entire game. And it's worth building if you manage to get the stuff for. Uh, so, anyway, you guys haven't had a chance to play with it yet, have you? Nope, we just made it. Brilliant. Right, and then the final one is the hardest item to craft from the Gormery. It requires one Gormite and a handed skull, and as mentioned before, a Gormite is a 37 or higher on the Gormchemist roll, or you have to face a level 3 Gorm and happen to find it. It is a weapon melee sword heavy, it is 3 speed, it is 5 plus accuracy, it has 10 strength, and on a perfect hit you gain plus 1 survival. And, if you're a sword master, then you understand this weapon's potential, and it gains plus 20 strength, making it a 30 strength weapon, which is the highest strength weapon in the entire game at the moment. This weapon is insane. Like, and you've got to remember that on a Swordsmaster, they're actually going to have plus one speed, plus one accuracy, and another plus one strength. So that's four, four plus, 31. Perfect hit in personal survival. Every campaign I've had has ended with somebody wielding a black sword somewhere in the group, um, which goes against my usual rule of low speed, but because this thing hits like a truck, it makes up for it. And then, uh, we didn't, haven't talked about it, but the promo Vagabond armor with this just makes yeah. it ridiculous. Yeah, that's, well, I was going to talk about that when we got on to talking about expansion um, uh, mixing and things like that and cross uh, uh, how the Gorm works with other expansions gear-wise. All right, so that's all the Gorm gear. So anything else we want to talk about before we start moving on? Uh, I'm pretty much, I've said everything I want to say about the gear. If you guys have anything more you'd like to chip in on anything, any favorite pieces or anything? I think we uh, nailed on everything pretty well. All right, so I know we still have to talk about how the gear works with some of the expansion stuff. Um, Anything else we need to cover about the Gorm itself? Uh, nothing except, like, tons of praise, really. It's a great expansion. I really hope the Frog Dog lands at the same standard. All right, I got two cards to just go over. We haven't really talked about his two disorders he adds to the deck. I just wanted to go over okay. this real quick. So we have Megaphobia, which is, uh, even large looming shadows make you jumpy. You may not depart for hunts or showdowns with monsters that occupy more than four spaces on the showdown board. So, uh, very interesting, uh, mechanic for that. Yeah, 
it stops you fighting the Phoenix, the Sunstalker, the Gorm, the Dragon King, the Lion God, and I think that's it. Oh, and the Lonely Tree. Dragon King? Did you say that? Uh, I did say it, yeah. And then the uh, other one is Absent Seizures. Um, no one knows where your mind goes when you're gone, not even you. The first time you would wound, suffer a brain trauma. Each time you, ugh, the first time you would wound, ugh, first time you would suffer a brain trauma each showdown, you instead are knocked out and forget a fighting art. Yeah, this one sucks. This was absolutely terrible. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, this is not a fun one. No, I think the only time it's like not terrible is on the guy who, you know, possessed from the haunted settlement event card. Or on somebody who could just can't use fighting arts anyway. Yeah, it's uh, it's horrific. But you know, some disorders have to be super nasty. All right, that's all I had to cover on my end. Okay. So uh, basically, uh, we're going to float on now to a section where we talk a bit about combining Gorm stuff with other expansions. So this is going to dip into this effectively into stuff we're going to talk about in future episodes, and we may repeat ourselves when we reach back and, and talk about things, but. Um, so, the first one we may as well get straight on with is uh, the Black Sword, as you mentioned. Um, Josh, would you like to tell us about how the Black Sword interacts with Vagabond armor, which is the promo set from before and after the war, which is all about Aya and Survivor? So, the uh, Vagabond armor is a uh, promo armor set that uh, lets you, it gives you sword mastery when. Uh, you have the full set. It's a mix of leather armor and a couple of special armor pieces. So you can have that and it automatically gives you sword mastery. So you get the plus 20 strength with the uh, black sword automatically. Yeah, I really like this. Um, I think it's interesting to have an alternate leather set. And the cost of Vagabond armor is you have very little armor on the head, which is quite risky and scary. An extra cool part of that is, in fact, that true blade survivors have to be narcissists, which means they're not allowed to wear anything on the head anyway. So you can have a black sword, true blade, narcissistic swordmaster in your settlement, which we did, which was my character at the end of our previous campaign. She had the whole damn whack. So she had five speed, hit on a two plus, 36 strength, deadly three. She was an absolute beast. Um, and this is one of those sort of really fun interactions. And I thoroughly recommend getting the full Vagabond armor set if, you know, it's so good. And it's really nice to have the extra options. I don't think it was intended to work like this. I don't think they thought about what would happen with the Black Sword in combination with Vagabond armor, but I'm ever so happy that we have this. Sadly, we have not got to play play with that set yet. That yeah, is a shame. It's a really fun set. It's a nice alternate to the leather set. And bizarrely tends to be the armor I wear all the time. Okay, uh, so then, um, Gormant armor. So Gormant armor itself is super interesting because once you've built it, you, you've got this guard ability that will allow you to get a free block and move back three. Now this can be awkward for tanking because uh, monsters that target not just the facing but will hit like nearest survivor Gormant armor is not great for it because if you're tanking and you step three spaces away to get your block up 
all of a sudden the monster may turn and attack somebody on the left or right who's adjacent to it. Um, especially, I think, the later monsters, something like the Sunstalker, the Phoenix, the Dragon King, and so on, and the Dungeon Knight, they're not so keen on um, on targeting adjacent front-facing. They'll often swing it like just whoever's nearest. But there are some cool things you can do with the Gormant armor once you're past the stage you need them to use it to tank if you want to. And that is to stick it on somebody who uses bows because you can then effectively stand beyond your normal maximum range, move forward, shoot, and then step back out to get out of range and have a block up in case the monster somehow comes after you. Um, Obviously, this doesn't work with cumbersome bows, but with a cumbersome bow, it lets you retreat. So you can fire and then move back three spaces and have a block again. Um, I love this. It's, it's really good. And the expansion, obviously, that has the most obvious synergy is the Flower Knight, because Vespertine Bow, because why not just decimate everything in the game wherever you want to? But also the Sunstalker. Because the Sunstalker um, has two very interesting bows, and one of them, the Sunshark bow, is a one-range wet bow. So you can dart into the blind spot, attack with it, and then bounce back three spaces and get your block up. And it, it works very nicely, creating kind of a blind spot skirmishing type attack. So this is something I, I came across in the when we were playing the campaign, um, my Thursday night campaign. We needed an archer. We were a bit short on armor sets, and we didn't want to stick rawhide on them because the fight we were going into needed some tougher stuff. And we had a full gauntlet set and kind of stuck it on there and suddenly, while playing, realized, actually, this is really effective. This is kind of like a, a dancing archer type thing going on here. Um, so that's one of the more unusual things, I think, with the gauntlet set that's worth exploring. It also works quite well with the sky... Harpoon from the Sunstalker because that's a range three spear, very rare. So, do you have you guys encountered any um, Gorm and other expansion synergies or Gorm and other monster synergies in the core game or anything? Not that I could recall off the top of my head. Um, I think you hit it. I know you did want to talk a little bit about the regen suit with some combos there. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking to see if you guys had anything uh, before I go off on a few more pieces. Uh, no, no I, I think you touched on everything that uh, we've looked at, if not more already. Um, one note: it doesn't. It's not best matches, but the uh, guard action with just the guard by itself for a tank, it does let you dash into the. Bl- it lets you go in the blind spot, do a hit, and then get to the side or something to get back in a facing direction where he would actually target you. So that's one way to use it. True. Okay, so uh, I'm just laying out the stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I will... Uh, first of all, so the Greater Gax. Um, I like to use the Greater Gax with Screaming Armor. Um, now, Screaming Armor does let you step forward after you slam, but that's only when you have a complete set. And I like to train... Uh, I, I don't... You know, you can't guarantee on having a complete set while you're trying to get your way through. Um, get you While you're trying to train your weapon master. So that's one of the places I put it, is I'll have a screaming antelope survival with the greater Gax. Um, also the benefit there is that the screaming antelope armor automatically gives you the affinities you need to activate the um, perfect hit ability on the greater Gax. 
So it's a nice piece of synergy between the two, and it's an alternate to always having spear on the Screaming Antelope Survivor. And if you're not on board with Screaming Army yet, you need to get on board with it, because it's really good. Uh, I already talked about briefly how good the Power Potion can be with the um, with an Acanthus Doctor. So that's what you want to bear in mind. Um, if you're looking for an extra couple of green affinities to join, or an extra green affinity to join up, um, and a way of getting even more strength tokens on your Acanthus Doctor, Power Potion is your friend. Um, then, the Steadfast Potion. Now, you guys have encountered this. You actually have this item. You've got an item that requires stre- um, strength tokens to be activated. Yep. Yep which is the headdress, um, a rare item which you can sometimes very rarely find while hunting the Sunstalker, or you can specifically craft in People of the Sun. And it's designed around the People of the Sun theme, which uses plus one strength tokens to do stuff. Uh, the Steadfast Potion provides a way of quickly activating the headdress. You can just throw up a block, block an attack, gain a strength token, headdress online, and the headdress is, like, amazing, really good. It's got AI hit location uh, manipulation as a passive ability for four cards, if I remember correctly. Isn't Correct. It? It's four. Yeah, four. It is four. Yeah, it's ridiculously powerful. Um, and that's a fast way to activate it. Uh, now then, Knuckle Shield and Acid Tooth Dagger. So I touched on these before, and I mentioned how they're kind of um, a little... Ooh, Pulse Lantern. Sorry. Remind me of Pulse Lantern after this. Um... So both of these weapons I like, but they're high speed and they're low damage, like low strength. So one of the ways you can make these more effective to train at mass moves quickly and deal damage is to actually use Cycloid Armor from the Sunstalker. Now, Cycloid Armor, if you attack from the blind spot with it, you will get sharp on your weapons. So all of a sudden, the Acid Tooth Dagger is 2 strength plus 1d10, and the Knuckle Shield is 1 strength plus 1d10. Cycloid Armor, and I will gush about this in length when we talk about the Sunstalker, but Cycloid Armor is one of those ways that you can power up ineffective weapons if you want to make use of them. Um, and as I said, Acid Tooth Daggers, I think, are perfectly fine by themselves. They're actually one of the few daggers I want to put onto White Lion armor sets. I, I would build a full White Lion armor set using Acid Tooth Daggers, but I still think that Cycloid Armor is better for the job. So... Both of those benefit greatly from use with the Sunstalker. And this, I think you can see, I'm of the opinion, there's a lot of synergy between the Gorm and the Sunstalker, and they're nice to have those two expansions played together, because they will feed you with each other. And finally, the Regeneration Suit. Well, you can stick this on a whole load of things, um, but one of the builds I came up with a long time ago, and proved to be very effective, was a partial cycloid set, but also using the Green Ring from the Spidiculous expansion. And effectively, it built a support character who, whenever it was targeted by the monster, gained tons of armor to be able to tank their way through the hits. Um, and the regeneration suit was used for the affinities and to provide the, um, the passive ability of ignoring hits, ignoring them, snoring, permanent injuries at the end of the showdown. So the regeneration suit is also something you can kind of tag onto any um, armor set if you need the affinities. And um, I, I do like it. I wish maybe that it was a little bit more impressive in some ways, but uh, I have used it quite a few times. And the fact that it is 
an accessory and not armor means that Canthostopters can wear it. Remember correctly? Yeah, I had one on my Canthus Doctor. That's a build I did do. Nice, nice. Okay, so last thing, Pulse Lanterns. Um, right, there is one neat trick you can do with the Pulse Lantern, and this, this one neat trick was discovered by a housewife. Um, the doctors are mad at her. Stupid nonsense. Um, okay, so when you activate Pulse Lanterns, you gain minus one accuracy, which is an annoyance. Um, it is a problem, and it's difficult to deal with. But... The rubber bone harness, harness, rubber bone harness from Rolling Armor, which is in the Don't Be For My expansion, allows you once per showdown to convert all negative attribute tokens into positive ones. So you can potentially take a party out wearing Rolling Armor, or at least wearing the bone harnesses, because the harness will fit with any armor set whatsoever. You can chain together four lanterns, knock the monster over four times. Everyone has minus four accuracy tokens, and then you can they can all activate their rubber bone harnesses, flip them around and have plus four accuracy and basically hit the monster on two pluses for the rest of the fight. So this is like one hell of a powerful hunting party because can you imagine four turns of beating on the monster with impunity? It's just, just ridiculous. And the that's an action. awesome, awesome strategy for that. That's, that's a cool one to put together and I definitely want to try that now. And just note, since you're knocking down the monster, it's a three plus to hit. doesn't matter what yep. your accuracy is. Yeah, exactly. So you get three rounds of I don't care, I have these minus... Four rounds, in fact, of I don't care about these minus action tokens. And then you flip them around and all of a sudden, you know, you just carry on and finish off what's left of the monster. The one thing that makes it difficult is rubber bone harnesses require a level three black harvest, for which is a little tricky to put together. But we will talk about the Don't Be For Night in the future and we'll discuss how you optimize your harvesting strategies to be able to build rubber bone harnesses. And to be brutally honest, rolling armor is so damn good that you could rock a party of four guys in rolling armor and you would never feel disappointed. So it, it doesn't matter either way. Um, yeah, this is one of those things I, I strung together in one campaign and then we kind of abandoned the campaign when we realized that it trivialized every single fight. It was just ridiculous. Like, there was nothing scary going on because... Monsters generally lost about 12 or so wounds before they could even start fighting. So, yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that, that's one for, for you all there. Um, I think that's kind of touched on everything I can think of. Yeah, I don't have any further cro- um, expansion cost stuff, uh, except to basically say, um, obviously, the Gorm is incredibly important for green armor. Um and I think that it's involved in nearly every single piece of the armor, apart from me, apart from the head. I think the head's the only one that doesn't use Gorm-related stuff. So if you're looking to do green armor, practicing with the Gorm, getting used to how the Gorm commist potions work, getting the brain train going, which is where you pull brains out of the Gorm and make the um, potion, uh, upgrade the potions as quickly as possible, is a good thing to practice and get used to ready for when you want to turn up build green armor, and then go beat the snot out of legendary monsters, which you can do if you get green armor very easily. So yeah, Gorm, two thumbs up from me, which I guess is the equivalent of eight thumbs up from a Gorm. Um, it's a phenomenal expansion, and this is it's thoroughly recommended by most people, and if you don't have it, you should get it. And um, 
you don't worry about what it looks like. You know, I, I realize it's a weird, creepy-looking monster, but it grows on you, especially with this quality content. And uh, that's me. I think I don't know what I have to say about the Gorm. How about you guys? Now, the Gorm is definitely one of our favorites to uh, to hunt, and the fact that it's uh, an early-game monster that transitions so well to late-game, uh, and it's so unique in terms of the weird... Uh, additional hunt phase, well, not necessarily hunt phase, showdown phase events that you have on it, and just how good the gear is overall for it in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it's just a monster that you can start fighting Lantern Year 1, uh, albeit hard, but you can, and just keep progressing until late game when you're taking out level 3 Gorms and going for the regen suit and stuff to that effect. So definitely two thumbs up on my end. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I agree. The Gorm just, he, he scales all the way through the campaign. Unlike the White Lion and some of the uh, starting stuff where the White Lion gear is okay, but like mid-late game, it's like I don't need to fight a White Lion anymore. It's nothing that I need, where the Gorm kind of still keeps giving you some cool stuff all the way through. Yeah, I like the way each version of it, the level 1, the level 2, and the level 3, has reasons to fight. And um, I hope that future expansions take this into account and look at the design of the Gorm, which I believe they will do. Um it, it's just a phenomenal design expansion. It's really good. I also like that each level, the fight is completely different. Like, Yeah. Like, instead of, oh, he gets a new trait card, it's like, oh, you use this trait card instead of this one, and it makes the fight totally different. And it's it's a lot of fun to do that. Yeah. It really adds a lot to the character, and that's one of the reasons why I talked a lot about the law in the law section, about how how much we seem to know about the Gorm and how how it's come to life. It's uh, it's it's brilliant. And, it, you know, the only real punishment is having to deal with the um, gather, the um, Gorm climate every single year, which, you know, you can get rid of um, with the Song of the Brave, by beating the Gorm after innovating the Song of the Brave. And it's nice that the Gorm encourages you to go down the music tree because normally... Mystery gets a bit kind of maligned and ignored. So, yeah, it's a a piece of pain that's well worth taking on board for all of the benefits that the Gorm provides. And I sincerely hope that all other early game monsters that come out for King of Death in the future take on board what the Gorm does and why the Gorm does it right. Yeah, I think Gorm's one of my favorites. It's top three for me. I'm not sure... I don't have an order for them, but it's up there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's number two for me. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've actually thought about this yet, and one is the Sunstalker, two is the Gorm, three is the Dumbies and Light, and then four would be the Dragon King, and five is actually the Lion God. Yeah, so yeah, it's really good. Well, I'm, um, I think I'm all spent on this. It's been really good fun to talk about a monster that I unabashedly adore, and all of the gear is exciting, and even the stuff that's kind of a little marginal still has benefits and uses. It's great. Absolutely. So is there anything else that you want to add, Josh? I think that's it. Okie doke. So thank you all for joining us for this episode of Great Game Hunters, the Kingdom Death Monster podcast by us here at Twist Gaming. Uh, So... Uh, We're going to do a little sign-off here and then talk about our future stuff uh, going on. But next episode, we have what coming up, gentlemen? Spiniculus. The spider. 
That's exciting because that's one we haven't really dug our grubby little paws too much into yet. So I'm excited to go through it and uh, learn it with everyone. It should be fun. It's a somewhat controversial expansion, and you're going to hear me alternate between praise and um, anti-praise. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better term. All right. So please, everyone, follow us on all the social media. We are Twist Gaming. Fen, do you want to plug your stuff? Certainly. Um, as you can follow me on Instagram at FenSaunig, which is F-E-N-Z-A-U-N-I-G. And that's exactly the same for my Patreon, um, where I post up strategy guides and things. I put some up for free. And then there's others where for my Patreons, um, generally at the $1 or more um, pledge too serious just uh, uh that's basically the main two places otherwise um you know you can catch me here on the great game hunters and sometimes once a week wednesdays gmt five till eight i stream painting um i'm currently painting uh, a red-headed version of zachary and how fantastic your painting is for all of you who have watched our stream on Tuesday's uh, Kingdom Death stream, uh, every mini is painted by Fen. They're all absolutely gorgeous. And if you haven't seen it yet, tune in on Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time to our Twitch Plays Kingdom Death stream, and you can see them firsthand and play along with us. Uh, otherwise, am I missing anything else, gentlemen? Nope. Uh, I think you've heard everything. That's it. Fantastic. Thank you all for joining us this evening. This is Twist Gaming and the Great Game Hunters signing off, and we'll see you next time. Take care. I'm Matt. I'm Josh. And I'm Finn. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye.